0: I think that too often we see the world into, like, into binary options of is the user, has the user signed up or not? Right. Right. And that seems like like a binary option that, that have expressed interest or they have not yet expressed interest. Right. And if they have signed up, then we will follow up with them in emails and and we will consider them like users. And if they have not, like, we're going to do like a lot of ads and and whatnot. I don't think that's true anymore.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Hashtag Startup Basics series in the Insights Alley podcast where startup founders and teams can learn from proven founders and experts about product, growth, sales, strategy and everything in between to make their own startup successful. I'm your host Arun Verma and let's get started. In today's episode, we will talk to Guillaume Caban, also known as G. G is the former VP of Growth at Trift as well as Segment. He is considered as a mad scientist in growth and B2B community. We will learn from him what growth levers startup can utilize and implement to acquire more and more customers, more and more leads in the top of the funnel, and hopefully cheaply and much more efficiently as compared to traditional demand gen, lead gen, paid, organic, marketing, etc. So, here is the episode. Hello Guillaume, welcome to Insights Ali, and thanks a lot for taking out some time for doing this. Really appreciate it. Hey, Evan. No worries. My pleasure. So, Gyeong, I'll call you G now. Would you like to yeah. start with telling us your story in brief from your early career in Apple then to segment to drift and now, what are you doing these days?
0: Wow, yeah, sure. Uh, basically, I've been, I've been in tech and, 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 and uh, doing stuff on the internet for the past, uh, a bit over 20 years now, because I, I started my first, I'd say, website and kind of a business in the late uh, 90s, games on Mac, which was not very popular back then. That brought me to work for Apple in the early 2000s, 2000, like 2004 to 2009. And, and I was doing like online sales business development, basically like marketing and like helping salespeople get more sales, you know, in the early 2000s, uh, selling Macs. Apple computers to businesses, which was you no know, not an obvious thing back then. I was at Apple, like from, like you can imagine, the launch of the iPod more or less uh, to the launch of the iPad. Uh, that's a very interesting time, and exactly at the same time, Apple grew a lot, and and uh, online sales uh, grew a lot and changed a lot. So that was uh, fascinating, and I learned. Uh, I think the one lesson I want people to remember from my time there is today, you know, it's easy to say that I do growth uh, growth hacking or whatever, which obviously didn't, that term did not exist back then. But but I learned there, I discovered it back then because Apple is such a strong company, a s- strong brand with very little flexibility about what employees can do, especially, you know, I was working from France. So there, there very little freedom. And so my boss and I, we, so that we get to our numbers, we did what we called experiments So we did not ask for approval because we would never get approval. And so we we would run experiments. And these days, we would call that growth. You know, we would do some strange partnerships. We'd do some kind of ads here and there. We'd run some content campaigns and stuff like that. So, and email campaigns and buy email lists, uh, all of that stuff uh, that, of course, would never have been approved. And and so, uh, after Apple left in 2009, I went into a couple of startups. I worked in um, IT security as a CMO for uh, two years where I learned a lot about technology and engineering and, and working with engineers. I co-founded a startup for about two years. I was in charge of product and marketing and acquisition. And I'd say more recently, yeah, I worked at you know at SaaS, B2B SaaS startups. Uh, the last three companies I've been at were uh, mentioned uh, in Paris, uh, which was new Advertising. I was like a uh, head of growth marketing right. a segment in San Francisco, the U.S., where I was a VP of growth. And more recently, Drift, where I was also a VP of growth. So I've been in, in growth, B2B SaaS, I'd say for I'd say 10 years and doing internet online sales for kind of 20 years.
1: So uh, let's start with today's topic. My first question to you, G, would be, how do you see the full B2B SaaS funnel and like how should B2B SaaS startups find the levers or perhaps identify where the leverage is to basically, you know, move the North Star metric and thus increase the revenue?
0: Yeah, great question. So the first thing that's amazing about that question is that you pinpoint that an off-star should be revenue. Okay. That's the only thing it should be, right? Let's not right. hey, forget exactly. the goal here. Exactly. Often startups forget the goal. It's revenue, okay? So so yes, yeah, so we want to move the revenue. We want to move it up if if possible. So the thing that I see when I when I work with our companies, I'd say frequently is too often companies are organized in silos uh function in functional silos. So you can have the marketing team, you can have maybe the sales team, maybe the product team, and each own, I'd say, one horizontal slice of the funnel, right? So the marketing team is going to own like the top of the funnel and the sales team might, if there's a sales team, you know, it might own the, the revenue and, and the broad team is going to own like the, the user experience once, once they're paid, right? And right. um, that is a huge problem because it means the user, from the perspective that the user, the user is going to have very different, very different understanding, very different messaging uh, from one team to the other, depending on, on who she, uh, she is talking to, right? And those teams are not great at uh, thinking for the user optimizing for the user experience. Most of the time, user experience is crap. Let me give you an example. Imagine you have a B2B SaaS business that has a free trial, right? Fairly common, right? Mm-hmm. right. And you might do some advertising where you advertise the fact that there's a free trial. And so it does ad that mention the word free. And so that might bring some kind of people to your site to sign up, right? How often is the content of the ad, uh, the persona that was identified in the ad, maybe, you know, if, if you say a SAS for doctors, whatever, and we have a very horizontal SaaS that caters to many personas, how often does the information of the ad is used by the, the next team, by the sales team or the product team, to change the user experience, to make it relevant to what made the user tick? So imagine you have this, this, you have this free product, you have this this paying product right and both exist side by side right i can guarantee that most of the time companies will not leverage the information of the acquisition into the next part of the of the life cycle and that is a horrible experience it's a very frustrating experience if that's not clear i can clarify it the following way we have all called a automated voice uh, system to uh, for your credit card for your bank or whatever where you need to punch in you know your your bank account details, and sometimes you need to talk to someone. So you go to a call center. Yeah. How often does the call center ask you for your details again, <laughs> exactly. and then you're transferred to someone else? to someone it. else because you need to, and they ask again. Right? It's it's a hugely frustrating experience. What we're doing in marketing acquisition is the same thing. We're asking the people to describe who they are and what their need is again. Imagine if you were in a restaurant and you placed it, you were sitting down, you placed an order and then the waiter changes, there's a shift and they come back and say, oh, sorry, the last person had the order. Can I take your order again? That happens three times. Right. it would be horrible. You would you would get out of that investment immediately, right? And this is a, this is what we're doing to to our users. We by ignoring what they tell us at each stage. We are asking them to do again. And I can tell you I see that all the time. I see sales team asking all the details again and then they get in the product and they need to identify themselves and need to maybe select into forms what they're going to do with the product, right? So that's a bad experience. So my my recommendation for funnels is to do exactly the opposite. Create a great an amazing user experience by trying to collect as early as possible maximum information and then persist use leverage the data in the next steps of the funnel so that the funnel is personalized to who the user is and what they want what the pain is right you can identify that based on the acquisition you know if it's a the keyword copy of the ad it might be if you're doing SEO, it might be because they are reading specific articles. I can guarantee most people who do SEO, they, they do a lot of blog posts. They're gonna do blog posts for different personas, different industries. If you have one user who viewed the same industry type blog post three or four times in a row, your sign-up should change. Your onboarding emails should change. Your onboarding emails should reference that industry. And it's not that hard right? So that is my condition. Use the information that the user gives you at the early stages to make your product, your onboarding, your marketing experience more relevant.
1: That makes perfect sense. So let's talk about top of the funnel, acquisition of leads, customers. So how do you think about that? And from a growth person's perspective, how do you perhaps strategically differentiate it from traditional demand gen, marketing, paid organic content, etc.?
0: Yeah, so I think traditional marketing is is, uh, amazing and it, it serves a different need, right? Most of the time, growth is there to optimize and to identify a market need that exists or people that have identified their need fairly well. Right. And you, and then, and then I'll talk about how we do that, right? Growth is not good at educating a market. Imagine you're launching a product that no one knows about and that solves, you know, a problem that people have not identified. You need to educate your market. That is, that is traditional marketing. It's hard. It's really hard, but like you're not going to educate a market by sending emails. It's not going to work, right? Even if you can find people not by doing ads, right? You need to do, you need to do some hard work of like brand building that's not growth right? right what growth is really good at is you entering an existing market of competitors want to compete with them growth is good at that you might not have say competitors but the problem is well identified and as soon as people read a, a line or two about what you do they get it growth will be good at that okay so your product needs to be obvious your or the pain you're solving needs to be obvious or you need to compete with well-known uh, competitors. Okay. Then if we go into the, the, what I think about user acquisition, I think that too often we see the world into, like, into binary options of is the user, has the user signed up or not? Right. right. And that seems like, like a binary option that, that have expressed interest or they have not yet expressed interest. Right. And if they have signed up, then we will follow up with them in emails and, and we will consider them like users. And if they have not, like, we're going to do like a lot of ads and, and whatnot. I don't think that's true anymore. I think that nowadays with, you know, customer data platforms like CDPs, like like Segment and others, and with all of the intent data that we can acquire on the market, at least in B2B SaaS, we already know who the potential customers are, right? Most B2B SaaS I know, they know their market and they have like a fairly well-defined market and they know most of the companies that could buy the product, even if it's a big number, right? Maybe 80,000, companies. Then you could build that list in Salesforce or whatever your service, is. They can build that list. These are all the companies that know all the right fit for my, for my product, right? So you already know them. They might not know you, but you know them, right? And you can also identify what they're doing in the market. So if you look at, for example, Drift, Drift sells live chats. Drift identified all say, the businesses that were relevant for Drift's product. And then my team uh, started identifying all the buying intent behaviors that the companies, that the target companies would have, would express even before coming to our website. Were they checking competitive products on g Crowd. Okay. Were they installing competitive products on their own websites, which we could extract with data night? Would they tweet about it? Would they post uh, some reviews? Would they read about some topics? Would they hire someone, a specific role within the company that is a good indicator uh, for a product? The last one, that one is very common to most SaaS businesses. You know, technology change happens more frequently when there is a, a new hire, right? And so all those companies, you know, all that intent already exists, it doesn't really matter whether they have signed up or not. They might be reading about your product on your site on other sites. They might be reading reviews on on content sites, right? The intent is already there.
1: They might right? not even and have those, given you your email, but still yeah, uh, yeah. just because... It, it doesn't really yeah, matter. Right, it right. doesn't
0: really matter. That's the thing, right? Is that the email, the fact that they give you the email doesn't change the fact that you will email them. The other doesn't think that sh- the fact that they will buy. It's one intent. It's one expression of intent among others, right? right. It's not binary, right? The intent just grows over time and we have built some models to understand like when does the intent, you know, when does that growth is uh, and when does that number is strong enough to us to predict they're going to buy. And we found out that often we were able to predict that they were going to buy, but they would buy a competitor, right? A competitive product. And you know what? The data is good. There was intent. There was intent to buy a chat product. It's not because they buy a competitive product that the intent was wrong. Or very much the contrary is that something else in our sales in our sales motion failed at pushing our product to them. Right, but. So that's the thing, right? And so, and so when, when you think about channels and user acquisition, well, it's, it's not binary. You're not acquiring users uh, unless you're, you're just talking about revenue and you're acquiring dollars, right? right? But you're actually like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I know that I have the right word, but you are, I'd say maybe farming, you're farming the intent that already exists in the markets. Yeah, you're hurting the market.
1: Or perhaps you could say the acquisition is on a spectrum. It's just not, as you said, it's not binary. It's on a spectrum.
0: Yes, it's a spectrum. Agreed. It's a spectrum of intent, of interest in your product.
1: Right. And I guess perhaps you would have to get them and perhaps reach out to them at the right moment when you perhaps see that intent is high enough that you can, you know, perhaps ask them. Uh, Would you like to talk about the coffee tea experiment, which I found very interesting? (laughs) (laughs) Can you explain, first of all, what it was and like why, how, what are the key learnings there? Yeah,
0: sure. approach to having uh, marketing uh, campaigns or growth strategies is I'm trying to create a user experience that is, uh, as I said before, much better. And sometimes much better goes through being differentiated. Having an experience that is memorable that people can can remember because it was it was fun it was different right and so one of the things that we did is is as I said so there's a spectrum of intent and we know the companies and we store the data and so when somebody from a specific company came to our website and that was one of that segments we would already have the uh, the, the prediction of uh, is that company valuable and likely to buy our product right. right so there's a like there's a spectrum of likelihood and if that likelihood is high enough and you multiply the chance of that conversion by your acv you kind of have like a weighted uh, revenue right if the chance is like 10 percent you know and your acv is a thousand dollars you have the hundred dollars weighted of revenue right Thanks. and so you might be willing to spend 20 percent 30 percent of your weighted revenue in an acquisition right and what we did is is we said hey what would be very memorable when people come to our website one thing we tried is by using the chat interestingly just drift's chat when I was that segment is instead of saying hey how can i help which is very boring and right. not memorable we made a chat said how do you like your coffee right or do you right. want your coffee and we tried a couple of arguments around like that and people would what the hell do you mean like, <laughs> right. coffee i'm on the business i'm on the business website right so so they would engage they would start typing like what does this mean right and funny thing is when they start to type i win they right. have engaged with me they right. are interested they are intrigued and so the bot because it's a bot, would ask well do you want tea or coffee do you want milk? Do you want sugar? Right? And so they would like play around with that. It's okay. Just give us your name and we'll deliver that within 15 minutes. They didn't even need to put the address because we know the IP address. We know the HQ and we know the company. And right. so we deliver to everyone in his in his office in most US cities, the coffee within 15 to 20 minutes. And the cost of that, of delivering a coffee in most US cities is like, meh, you know, like maybe $15, which you might think is expensive. But we only do that for the companies where we know that the weighted revenue. Is high enough. So right. our prediction helps us do that. And I can guarantee it's a memorable
1: experience. Right. You can afford very a jack of 100, even, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. I can afford that. And people would then go to the colleagues, to the coworkers. They would say, I went to this website and I got a free coffee. <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's so, it's a bizarre, it's fun. And, and so yeah, we create interest.
1: Uh, what's happening on the back end?
0: So on, on the back end, so the drift chats is captured by Zapier. Uh, Zapier actually collects and and like m- mashes that into an order. So it actually makes identify calls oh, to a segment. Nice. And so we would, st- we would store, for example, like iron tea preferences, as like uh, preferences tea, uh, no sugar, a bit of milk. And once the order is ready, it would actually push it to Sendozo. And Sendozo actually hits the Postmates API and it would make a Postmates order for that address with that, with that
1: drink uh, detail that makes sense so i guess basic learning would be to dazzle your and find arbitrage in getting their attention
0: yeah yeah make it memorable and i think the the other learning is and i have a graph on that which you can you can probably find on youtube but think of like how do you compete how do you compete on your product how do you compete on innovation Hmm. and too often we forget of like how do we compete on marketing right Right. if you want to compete well on marketing there's very quickly a question of like what budget do you have per user what's your cac max cac and what's the max CAC of your competitors. Now, if you're selling more or less the same product and you're doing the same strategies, you can have the same CAC, which means you're not competing very well. My idea is that because I compute the prediction of each company that is potentially in the market, right? I know ahead of time how much I can invest. I can create very differentiated experiences based on different uh, costs, which means I can overinvest. I can invest a lot more than my competitors on specific companies. And if you think of a graph of spend versus, uh, let's say, company size, hmm. they have a very horizontal line where they spend more or less the same across most companies, right? And I can create a cloud of points where I can spend a lot on some and very little on others, and I can have high conversions, which means my CAC to LTV is lower, but my CAC can be very low, very high, and I I am forcing my competitors to overspend or to just leave the market or at least the channel. And so I'm creating a moat. And that's what's important for founders, is that well-executed market marketing acquisition growth is a competitive moat it's a defensible
1: moat right makes sense makes sense so let's discuss a very specific type of growth tactic experiment uh, that many SaaS companies do on a vast range of spectrum so I'll give you my take then I would love to I'm really Mm -hmm. excited to discuss this with you so the basic outline is you create a mini product which is not your actual product not just the freemium version of it but a completely different independent mini product for the purpose of driving acquisition of leads for you so examples could be well test drive by drift right or uh, get mm-hmm. time.com by drift or perhaps pablo by buffer or uh, you can have yeah. that uh, quintessential example of website grader by hubspot right so yeah. see, uh, how would you like to define these type of mini products and why and how to make them uh, what are your key learnings have been
0: yeah i love those products i've done a couple I'll get my response time I was done by my team uh, at drift i think you gotta keep in mind that they need to be take a low to moderate cost investments they need to stay mini products right it's not something that you're not going to sell them right by definition mini products are like free they're made to they capture interest i think them um, most people think well i'm going to put a product out there that delivers some value i'm getting i'm going to get emails in exchange right that's more or less the trade-off right and the usual failure is that the product is too different too far off the mini product is too different from your core product and so sure you get emails but that never translates into sales. Never, right? Interesting. That's a very often problem that I've seen multiple times. So you need to make sure that the mini product that you have helps you convince your audience of the value of your core product. That's the important thing, right? And so I, the way I do them, I try to ensure that my mini product will discover, let's say, a pain and build a compelling argument about why my core product will help them solve that pain. So the example of of like get my response time is it, it, it's a small site where you drop your email, of course, and your domain and it's meant for VP of sales and sales manager. And so it will automatically uh, go On that website that you give us and it will drop a demo request and then it will measure the time that has passed between that demo request and the follow up from the sales team for that demo in hours, days and whatnot. And so because we all know that the longer you wait, the less demos you have, right? And then we give a report to that person that asked us where we can see a graph of the distribution of like where the industry is in terms of response time and where you sit and what the impact on conversion rate is because of your faster or slower. And the compelling argument here is by doing that, I'm discovering, you know, that they have a pain about that. They they think they have a pain. I get data that they did not have before, which is how poorly their sales team react. And my core product, Drift Chat, actually solves that problem, right? And so here, not only am I getting unique data that I would not be able to have otherwise, that my competitors don't have, and it's actually something that I solve very well. So that's why it's, it's a good example, a successful example of a mini product. Another example that is successful is, for example, right now I'm working, I'm helping a company called Gorgias, which does a, a hub desk for Shopify. And um, for this product to work, you need to connect your Shopify store. You need to do an OAuth into Shopify. You need to connect uh, your Gmail, send some emails. You need to connect to a couple of, of your SaaS tools, right? For, for to, to create this hub desk, right? And so I'm working on the, on a mini product that would give you insights into your customer retention by analyzing your Shopify sales and stuff like that right and what happens here is that there's two things one to get those insights you need to connect the same tools which means that the OAuth is already done and I can actually create an account in the backend, even if I don't tell them I create an account so that when they're convinced they don't need uh, to go through all those steps which creates right. friction for me right so I, I use that second thing is that the, these insights into e-commerce recurrence frequency and is something that a good help desk, if it creates increased satisfaction, would help. And I can tell them, hey, it seems you have lower uh, recurring, a uh, less, a uh, lower number of recurring uh, customers than competitors in your industry, right? And that seems because your satisfaction is lower, and the satisfaction is lower because there's all those people complaining in your current help desk, right? And so I right. give them that insight. And it's already connected I said, hey, if you want to try it out, just click here. There's nothing else you need to do. There's no added friction. It's already ready. So so that's also a good example where we use friction. So yeah, those are a, a, a few
1: examples. Right. Just paraphrasing you, I guess you sort of have to have a quality check for your mini product that your mini product needs to either provide kind of a teaser or a taste of value proposition of the actual product, yeah. right? Yeah. So best example yeah. is Diff Test Drive, right? So it's not the actual product, but it's actually showcasing you how the product would work, exact teaser or yeah. taste of the value prop, right? And other way of looking at it, if not that, then it should provide some sort of complementary value to the user in addition to the value of your main product, right? Another example would be Pablo by Buffer, where you can create uh, assets for your social media sharing and Buffer wants you to do that only, right? Of course. So how do you think about in curating or perhaps getting ideas for these mini products? So like for any type of in the whole growth funnel, for any uh, stage of the funnel, you can perhaps curate so many ideas, but for just this exact mini product, it's very hard. So, how do you think about this and how do you get ideas?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm crazy, so I have a lot of ideas. But uh, okay. I, I think I think there's a lot of good ideas out there, and I think it's easy to look at a lot of mini products and find something that's uh, relevant for your business. There's always, you know, like in in any SaaS, any industry, there's a lot of different you know pains, and there's always like your product focuses on one thing, and if if you start seeing some traction, some success into in that one feature, right, it also means that you are usually you're leaving some other pains behind that you're not solving, right, that you're not answering and uh, one way that I look I like to do is that hopefully you have some competitors you know I prefer markets where there's competitors because it, it gives you some validation and usually competitors will have features that you don't have some of them some small ones right? right it's it's not a huge problem but I love to actually do a mini product which is free which replicates exactly the feature of my competitor <laughs> a small feature <laughs> okay right right <laughs> because, interesting because then, then because my sales team love it because then you know like if it's audio for uh, someone that's engaged with our sales team and they say oh do you do that and so, say oh yeah it's nothing we do it for free right <laughs> that's interesting so like you destroy the value proposition right that's one second you know if they do it it usually is something good it's not accusing like something good right and so like i will usually do some ad banners saying like hey like don't pay for it we do it for free which is a very aggressive move and it works really well it's easy As soon as you have competitors, pick one small feature that they do you don't, make it free. Don't build it in your product. make it free, and it will be worth it in terms of CAC.
1: Interesting, right. For listeners, one thing I would like to add is think of mini product. It could be anything, right? Like a website, app, mini app, mini website, or perhaps a service, hack, bot systems, app, automation, anything. So that way you can perhaps curate more ideas for it. Yeah. Uh, Okay. How should the experiment doc of these sort of mini products look like in terms of objective hypothesis, experiment design, et cetera?
0: Yeah. Quick question. So I uh, recently have moved to using Airtable to uh, monitor my, to, let's say, manage my experimentation process. And I copied a, a framework from the Rios contractor, uh, from, from when he was at Dropbox. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting because it's a process that instead of trying to basically you your experiments and trying to evaluate what's the value of that experiment and what's the cost of that experiment and how likely is it, is it going to succeed, right? And, and so when you take the value, like for years, we've been working on the I, C, E, model, impact, confidence, and ease, right? And you say impact was a number between 1 and 10. And that's not great, because, like, what does a 7 mean? What does a 5 mean? right? It's not great. Right. And so we all recently moved to what Darius said, which is like, let's just monitor dollars. Let's make a forecast of impact and revenue, because that's an off store after all. And so what we do, that we we have a system where automatically every day, we we have a SQL request, which pulls our entire funnel in terms of numbers right. and the revenue for the past 30 days. So how many visits do we have? How many signups? How many demos? How many paying users? Right. Right, right. It puts all that in our table. It divides each step of the funnel by the revenue. And so now we get a dollar amount per object at that stage of the funnel. A dollar, like we know the value for signup, the value for demo, the value for qualified demo and so on. Right. And then we have a second table which says, well, let's list all the ideas. Which metric is it going to impact? Is it going to raise up rate? Is it going hmm. to raise demo rate? It's going to bring more traffic, right? right. So it pulls the value per object. And then we say, well, how likely is that going to succeed? Is it 30%, 50%, 80%? Do we have some metrics to support that? We know we know some people who succeeded. How many days are we going to spend to do it? One day, two days, three days. We do a weighted average. We multiply the number, the increase in signups, imagine, by the confidence. Right. And we divide that by the time to build the experiment, which means we have a value of dollars per day of work. Kind of AR, right? And so, right. and we prioritize by that, which kind of makes a lot of sense. We're going to work on the idea that has the highest chance of bringing the most revenue per day of work, right? That yes, right. makes a lot of sense. right? And right. the good thing now is that when my, my founders, my CEO come to me and say, Hey, like, you know, what are you going to do? And what's going to be in the impact? Well, in the past, it was super hard because like I told them, I don't know the impact. This is growth. Well, find <laughs> out. Yeah. And now I have a pipeline like salespeople. I tell them, hey, we've got 20 ideas. The weighted uh, revenue for that is maybe like $50,000, right, of of annual revenue. And it's going to take us 20 days to build, which is like one person or maybe 40 days, which is two people, right? Right. And so I can give them that forecast, which at the individual level, excellent level, is probably wrong, but in aggregate, it's, it's pretty good. And so I can forecast working like cells, I can forecast the the, the the number of man hours that we need and it gives them confidence and gives me confidence, right? Which is super helpful. And so that is how we, that is how we prioritize these days.
1: This is nice, nice. Gee, in a nutshell, Whatever the purpose may be, it's still a product, right? So thus, I guess it needs distribution, right? So if no one reaches your mini product, it's useless in its purpose, right? So how do you distribute it? How do you market it? Like, what have you seen working versus not working?
0: Yeah, to distribute a, a mini product or, or any product, by the way, you know, I even if you detect the intent, you're right. Like, You need to reach out, right? Because like the percentage of people who will come to you is very small, uh, but on their own, right? Right. Um, and so... I do a lot of outbound email. A lot of outbound email. It's very successful for me. I do sometimes if it's a, on an avenue I do app store of op- op- optimization. I do uh, some advertising, all the usual channels, right? But I do it on, in a very personalized and granular way. But I'll try to do like emails. My emails are extremely personalized. I'll give you an example right now. If you think of uh, gorgeous, for example. Hmm. So this this help desk uh, for Shopify stores, right? One of the things that we do in Outbound is that we have scrapers that automatically identify websites that sell products or e-commerce stores that have Shopify. We identify if they have Instagram, which they usually have. And then we scrape automatically using Phantom Buster the past uh, 20 or 30 Instagram posts. We look for the comments on those posts. We send the text of those comments to Monkey Learner to do natural language processing. Hmm. We identify negative sentiment text and if we find some, which we usually do, you know, people saying, oh, this product is crap or "Was my order or whatever, right? We take a screenshot of the Instagram post with the comment, anyway. and we inject that into the email we say, hey, everyone, I love your product, blah, blah, blah. By the way, I was like on your Instagram feed oh, and boy. I saw this comment. And, like, seems you, and it seems you're not responding. Oh, and just helps you because we monitor Instagram automatically. Now, a couple of things here. This email and the content of the email is extremely relevant. It's true. Right, right? of course. That Instagram post exists. It's very true. And you're not responding, which hurts your NPS, right? And you're going to have a, most people will not assume that it's done automatically. And if it is, it doesn't matter. The value is still there. This email is valuable in itself. Think if you do, so think you do something else. You do an SEO tool. You should 100% do analysis before you do the outreach and you should find mistakes in the SEO and okay. send them a helpful email about mistakes, right? I always try for my outbound emails to be helpful to bring value on their own. I never say, Oh, do you want to talk? No one wants to talk. I don't know what you do. I don't care. I don't, know, don't trust you. <laughs> build trust first i build trust by sending arun valuable information in my initial email and i do not ask for anything i say hey there's a, there's this seo error there's this thing on social there's this other thing that's happening i wanted to let you know and then two or three days later hey by the way like seems like you might need help Like you want to chat now there's trust and that person will see a second email in a very different light
1: Makes sense, right. What's your process like in stitching such a mini product, right? MVP and then obviously making yeah. further versions of it and what exactly tools process, yeah. especially no code tools. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I, yeah, I love the no code movement. <laughs> uh, I do a lot I, of stuff on Zampio. Me too, me too. Uh, yeah. yeah, especially because I'm not an engineer. Even if I have engineering resources available, I'm not an engineer myself. And the first thing I try to do is I try to uh, have myself or someone else try it out manually. So for example, like the Instagram scraping thing, yeah. you know, it requires some work for this automation, you know, to happen at scale, right? Yeah. So it's gonna call it like two weeks of work, right? Yeah. But obviously the first step is to have someone like take a junior person on your team, do 50 or 100 emails manually because it's not that long to take screenshots manually, send it. Are we increasing conversion? Rate? are we increasing response rate are we giving a good user experience yes and no is it worth two weeks and i then put back that impact into my air table where i track the impact right and now i have an mvp which took me what one junior person one morning right. 50 emails it's peanuts i don't care right so i try always to do that so i'm trying to like de-risk the mini product where i have questions is it feasible does it have an impact so for example there's like so we, we took a junior person to answer the question does it have an impact is it feasible is well maybe this thing would be better with code but right. I could try and like build it with like Zapier and Phantom Buster right and it might mm. not be perfect but it's going to answer like I mean it's going to give me confidence on like is this feasible or not can it be automated and sometimes it can sometimes it can't right usually most things are doable most things are doable like almost everything can be automated
1: right makes sense and if like finally if we find out if it's successful we can just we can make it a very sophisticated Engineering tool yeah. also uh, if yeah. it helps if it's right? worth it if it's worth if it, it's worth of, it. Course. Yes. Yeah. of course yeah if the value is there and the volume is there
0: like you can put like a couple of engineers for like a couple of weeks why not
1: right right by the way gee, so it is always advised to even think about growth after having achieved product market fit right so do you yes. think such mini products for acquisition this advice applies on these also I mean why or why not should a early stage startup quite an early stage startup should use such mini products for acquisition your thoughts
0: yeah it's um what I said earlier is mini products are useful when you can kind of like link uh, the pain and create pain or link the pain and let's say promote your product very quickly in a way that's relevant right which means your product needs to be mature enough that you have confidence it is solving that pain right what you're asking is like can we when we use a mini product for market education it's difficult hmm. it's really difficult i haven't i don't have Thing when I, I don't have at uh, the top of my head an example of someone who has people who have done that. The reason is how you bring people to the mini product, right? If, the, if you need to pay a high cap to bring people to the mini product, it kind of defeats the purpose of the mini product. If people don't understand the mini product, because then you're just like, you're actually increasing friction between users and your core product, right? The only case where I've seen that kind of thing happen, actually, when I now think about it, is if the product is not ready and people are already excited about the product, but it's not live yet, right? And, and so you can give things that are like early, early small features of your product that people can test out. But that is because there's already a lot of excitement around your core product. If if no one cares about your core product, it's really hard. You should really focus on your core product first. <laughs> yeah, don't don't lose too much resources and focus on side projects because your right. product, core product,
1: is is not ready. <laughs> Makes sense. So Adi, we discuss many products and then using intent data to target user perhaps right for lead acquisition on a spectrum apart from that what do you think what other growth levers or experiments you'd suggest for lead generation and especially you know finding that arbitrage as you know traditional marketing lead gen channels are so saturated nowadays
0: I think it's not going to get better. You know, SaaS is growing. Uh, (laughs) There's more and more money going to SaaS. And so like, and what's interesting is that at the same time, the number of channels is actually diminishing. This is just less channels than before. If you think for like advertising, when I started doing advertising, like 15 years ago at Apple, I would do like, I used to like leverage maybe like 10 different advertising platforms, at least. And I would do some direct deals with like some publishers. Like today, I don't care. I'm just on like three platforms. Like I'm on Facebook, I'm on AdWords. Sometimes that's just it. You know, right. that's just it. Right. And and so like so the number of, of uh, actually platforms is diminishing. And so the question is like how do you how do you compete? And so basically you can compete by two ways. Either you your spend goes up or you're smarter at uh, finding the right people and making those people click. I obviously prefer the, the second uh, option. I can give you an example I did recently with my friends of Mad Kudu. And so Mad Kudu is, is the engine that helps me run the predictions on like who's likely to buy in the future. And so I was, uh, I was looking to hire someone to do uh, paid advertising in my team. And I talked to someone who did uh, paid for mobile uh, games. And I thought this is not relevant. I do B2B SaaS. I have very high ACV and have very low conversion. That person's going to have, you know, very low ACV. And I... that's not true. That's not true at all. Mobile games make most of their money on a very small fraction of users that are high spenders that spend a lot Right. And so they're looking for that. And they had ACVs. That person had ACVs in the couple hundred dollars a month. Okay. And they had cost of acquisition, CACs, north of a hundred dollars. And I said, wow, that's about the same numbers. That's relevant for me, <laughs> right? right. That's right. And I said, well, how do you find those? And on Facebook, obviously. And so they were sending back all the transactions to Facebook and Facebook's conversion, conversion optimization would take all of those microtransactions and find people who had the same behavior on Facebook. I thought, how can I apply that? And the truth is I can't. I'm in B2B, right? I don't have microtransactions. Right. I have a few big transactions. They don't happen client side. They happen in Salesforce in the backend, right? right? Or on Stripe, whatever. Right. And, and, and they don't happen within the allowed conversion window of Facebook, which is seven days. I never have conversions in seven days, right? And so my conversions don't count. And so I thought, well, what if I could fake conversions? What if I could make a prediction client side as soon as people sign up? I have enough knowledge intent and I can send back that data in dollars to Facebook within the conversion window oh and that's what we did right as soon as people sign up give their email in a chat book a demo whatever we send back a fake conversion to facebook oh okay. we call the conversion pixel the e-commerce conversion pixel right and we say hey everyone bought a shoe for 300 bucks and that is the weighted average of likelihood of your conversion times the acb all right with that strategy we've been able to divide our cac by three X drift on Facebook. By three X, right? Why right. is that? Is because we are training Facebook's ML to tell them who are the good users, who are the users we want. It's not just mm. like uh, a lookalike, which is like a million people who I would want. Is those couple hundred people other people I want. I want more people exactly like that within all my campaigns, right? And so that's how I compete. I compete by trying to find out what's the arbitrage that no one is doing uh, in my market that I can hmm. learn from other people in the same markets, right? right? Other people in, sorry, in the different industries. What can I learn from them that can apply to me, right? And that gives me a winning uh, arbitrage opportunity.
1: Interesting. Wow nice. So Jay, what could be done immediately after that acquisition or perhaps now I should say that we have understood that the intention is very, very high. Like are there yeah. any levers we can pull to start providing value to those customer instantly after that thing happens, right? Mm-hmm. Instead instead yeah. of just going to yeah. that, you know, route of lead generated, then sales demo given, yeah. then sales team closes the deal yeah. and then basically the la- long sales cycle. Yeah. So, like, Can we think of yeah. other levers in there how to optimize that freemium product experience or freemium product funnel? Yeah. So there's that. I want to talk about that.
0: And I also want to talk about exactly the opposite of that. Okay. You know, we often think of like pushing people to getting value through the product. I want to talk to the people in the audience here who have, let's say, medium to high uh spend customers like enterprise customers, right, right, right. Uh, or high-end co- companies, right? And I've had those at Segment and that Drift. What we realized is that the normal uh, life cycle flow, where they would go through sign-up, through demo, and then through the product, whatever, is broken for them. The likelihood of a big company like mm-hmm. uh, Nike or whatever a big company to sign up on your product and get value from it is zero, right? Right. Because they're not allowed to, they're going to sign up, they're not going to be allowed to connect anything. Like for example, like think of Drift. Drift, you need to drop a a JavaScript on your site. Now imagine you have like Nike or Disney coming to your site. Are they going to put like the JS on their site? No, No, of of course course not. not Of course (laughs) not. Of course not. So like, it's going to be a bad experience. And so what we discovered is that preventing some people of being able to sign up is a good thing. And so we did what is called fast lane if so when you when you sign up you go going for the free trial we identify your company type the chances that you're successful at activating the product and if we think the chances are too low we take over the screen and we say hey arun you qualify for a white glove experience when can we give you a call to help you
1: okay so right? you're
0: not and so we putting them people. onto that onboarding floor yes.
1: okay awesome yes
0: i stopped them because it's it's not useful. You know why? Because because they're going to they're see a product that is going to be empty. I, 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 imagine for Gorgias. You need to connect Zendesk. You're not allowed. You need to connect Gmail. You're not allowed. You might not even have Gmail. It's like not going to be useful. Okay? So you need to think of like, okay, who can be successful in my product on their own? Right? And who right. cannot? Now, let's talk about the ones you asked. Right? How can we make, how we can we even give more value? Right? Well, there's people for whom the demo is a bad thing. I'm a good example of that. I hate right. demos. Just leave me alone. Right? <laughs> and so you should be able to identify that by looking at the number of tools that they have on my, on my website. The number of technologies. You could see that. You'd count. You see, I'm way above average, and so I'm self-sufficient, right? And so remove the steps. If you have a necessary demo, remove it for me, right? Remove the steps that are not not relevant for me. And sometimes, for example, I want to give an example that's something I did of creating value. Uh, let's talk about a company I was four or five years ago, uh, Mention. Mention.com is a company that does a brand awareness monitoring. So you enter your brand name, your domain, your Twitter account, and it tells you who's uh, talking about you or your computers or, or whatnot in the market, right? And obviously that product is more useful when you launch a product a feature or you launch a company right and you don't think at that moment of signing up for a brand monitoring tool you think about it weeks later but it's too late the value is at the beginning and so we thought well hey how can we deliver value reducing the friction when they have a lot of other things to think about what we did is very easy we started monitoring product hunt for product launchers right okay. there's an api it's a free api pulled right. all of that we found the website the name of the product, the Twitter account, everything's there. Which means we started provisioning mention accounts on the back end. We created the accounts, the queries, to start collecting the data. And then we would send a cold email and a tweet with a screenshot of what the app looked like with their own data, with their own data, right? So we'd automatically screenshot that and we'd say, hey Arun, congrats for launching on Product Hunt today. I know you've got other things to think, but you know what? We created this for you. Click on this link, which is valid for 24 hours. Nothing else to do. See what happening in the world so we reduced the entire onboarding steps because we know they were launching we know the product name. Right. we know what the, what they should be looking at and we just prove the value in the email wow. and you just need you don't even need to enter your email or your password just click there and it's, it's finished it's yours right how right. hard is it interesting and so people would see the value and there's there's no debating whether this is useful or not and so like the activation rate on that campaign would be
1: insane Right. Makes sense. Coming back to that first type that you mentioned. So, like, how do you think what can be done from a growth perspective to craft perhaps an outstanding demo experience for the customer who are kind of you mentioned in the fast lane?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you need I'm I'm married to a saleswoman, right? Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, I've learned from her that most salespeople don't ask enough questions. They talk too much, Right. They talk too much and they don't, personally, don't cater to the needs of the customer. Most SaaS products do a lot of different things. A lot of different things, lots of different features. You should not as a sales person, you should not bring me through all your features. It's boring, right? right? Think of imagine, imagine you're selling Microsoft Excel. Are you really gonna bring me through all the features? <laughs> of, course really? of course not. Really? Of course like, not. of course not. And Excel is the extreme, right? On the spectrum it's really the extreme. But like most sales products have like a lot of a lot of features. Like imagine Salesforce. Right. You can do everything with Salesforce. And of course Salesforce sells people at Salesforce, they know they should not pitch everything. They ask you questions. A lot of questions. What's your industry? What's your business? What's what do you want to do What's your problem is? how like are you have how many stuff you do all those questions right you should do the same thing even if you only have two or three or four features those features are sufficiently different that maybe half of them your potential customer does not care about them at all right you need to do land and expand you need to have understand what's the one feature your customer your potential customer cares about and make sure that you get them to value immediately on that one
1: feature right that's and- it it should reflect in the product also.
0: Yes, exactly. Right. If you can detect that, like, I've done some... It's a very simple thing I've done. Drift has different features, right? It does emails, right. it does live, live chat, it does bots. People use it a bit for support, mostly for sales, a couple of other things, right? And I had a hard time detecting what they wanted to do. I did a simple thing. Right. I added a step in my onboarding. says, hey, what is the one thing that you want to do with Drift? Interesting. And there was like six options, right? Six options. You could only select one, right? And then based on what they selected, it would drop them into the onboarding of that specific feature, right? Makes sense. That's it. If you think of like mob- mobile apps, it's just like like deep linking. You no, know, we all know deep linking, like you can go on a Link and it on like an article that brings you that article, and when it fails, deep thinking is very frustrating, right? Right. You're in one app, you click into the link of like Airbnb or whatever, and just brings you to the homepage of Airbnb. Like that's very frustrating because you got to search for that home again or whatever it is, right? Right. And so you need to deep think people to the relevant content. That's
1: it. Awesome. Let's do a rapid fire kind of an exercise, basically to showcase how do you curate ideas for uh, let's say for the mini experiments or uh, any growthy ideas for lead acquisition, customer acquisition, right? Uh, Based on what we discussed So uh, let's assume we are a B2B SaaS company, perhaps video marketing and automation, right? So what okay. many products do we build and what are the levers that we could find for lead generation and growthy ideas?
0: Yeah, so I need to understand more about your, your video marketing. Is it a, an agency that does videos for other B2B companies? No, so
1: I'm, I'm just giving a, a fake example. <laughs> so, uh, Perhaps... I know, I know, but I need, yeah. I need, I need, I need to mm. understand the fake
0: example. Right, like, so... I'm just like salespeople, I need to ask the right
1: question. <laughs> right, so let's say in the same <laughs> space as Loom, Vistia, all these oh, okay. kind of right or so video yeah exactly yeah
0: video okay so sales videos cool yeah okay so a good say mini product would be to understand what's your demo rate compared to your competitors right can you actually can you input some can you connect some of your tools like your gmail and i will give you your demo rate what right? you can you connect currently and gmail and i will right. say like how many people actually like do a demo because the, the goal of christia or loom or, or, or you know um, all the others or video is to actually send a video into a sales email to like get people to like do a demo right, right? and and so yeah so i think the outcome is that and so like if 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 you're interested in those products, I would assume it's because your demo rate is not as good as what you think it could be, or what your competitors do. And so, what I would do is I would try to maybe do some research. I'd pay maybe a content person to find out you know what the demo rate in multiple uh, industries. I would get that content and would have people connect their the calendar or the Google Cal and their Gmail, and I would try to by through that get the demo rate. And maybe if I could. I would have multiple salespeople connected. I would find the demo rate per sales rep, and I would tell them, hey, this person is doing really well. Find out what that person is doing and give them a raise.
1: Right. Interesting. So let's do another one. This time, let's say an yeah. analytics product. How do you think about yeah. that when there is no action to take, perhaps, or a campaign to send, or a thing to make, right? As in analytics insights product, you just see and get the insight.
0: I would uh, I would build a Chrome extension. If I was an analytics product, say like Amplitude or Mixpanel, right? I would build a Chrome extension where I would help I would I would help people like analyze their tracking plan, right? Uh, uh, that's an example. Like, oh, analyze what events are happening on a page. I would let people like maybe enter websites, and I would have a crawler. So imagine you could analyze your competitors, what events our competitors tracking on their site, right? Nice. And I would have a qual that does all possible link clicks and actions and whatnot. And it would tell you, hey, like this is all of what competitors tracks on their site. That's what's important for them, right? That's nice. useful for me. Sure, I could do it myself looking at the, at the inspect tab in Chrome. But that's a lot of work, right? And I don't know anyone that does that right now. So I would 100% do that because like, as an analytics guy, yeah. I want to know what my competitors are tracking, what's important for them. I would probably look at their ads and see are they tracking their ads properly. Or which ad platforms are they using? Which pixels are they sending back?
1: Wow. Wow, that was some very good examples and awesome. So gee, uh, that was pretty much it. Any final I advice want... you would give to early stage founders as well as uh, post-PMF founders as well as early stage founders in what should they yeah. do and think of related to making use of growth levers for customer acquisition and especially, you know, thinking of this versus traditional paid demand gen marketing.
0: Yeah, the final advice is customer experience first. Think mm-hmm. of how you can craft a user experience which makes a lot of sense, that is relevant, that is useful don't think too much about how your company is organized how your product is structured or what your product does think about what are the users wanting to do what problems are solving if we're SaaS B2B it means when people come to your website they're exposed to your brand your content they're not here to waste time they're not going on Facebook or Reddit just because they have a couple of hours to spend they're coming to you because they have a problem that needs solving you as a founder your job to respect the user who is investing time you think about it the user is investing time in the day in you in a couple of seconds you need to one understand what problem do they have and how your product solves that problem and you need to express that to your user in the best way possible that's what you need to do and all the rest is
1: secondary right makes sense any resource <laughs> you would suggest to listeners for learning more about this exactly or perhaps growth in general books people blogs yeah, I mean uh,
0: growthhackers.com is, is a is a really good resource. So I would I would have people uh, go there. Right. Uh,
1: anything you would like to plug in your Twitter, LinkedIn? Uh, how can people reach out to you? I uh, no, yeah, uh, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. You
0: can you can uh, find me there. That's uh, that's easy. So just uh, Guillaume Caban. Okay.
1: Awesome. Well, yeah. G, thank you so much. I learned a lot, sure. a lot from you today. So it was a pleasure <laughs> having you on that's the
0: good. show. Okay. Thank you very much, Evan. Thank you, everyone.
1: That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. Show notes would be available on the website, insightsalley.com. Please rate, review, subscribe in whichever app you are listening to this episode. The podcast is available everywhere. iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. And even YouTube. And remember, always be learning. Bye.